Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.44 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 22nd of June, 2021. This is episode 442 of Bitcoin. And Apple finally got back to me. Yes, sirree, they did. They, they, are, they are on the case. Here's the email that I got. Now, remember, if, you, if, if, if you're not aware, uh, my RSS feed has stopped propagating from SoundCloud where I host my files to the Apple podcasts. And the last podcast that actually propagated over was June the 11th. Okay. So that's like over, you know, well over a week ago. So after five or six days, when I gave them all the information that they actually needed, including the RSS feed that I'm, you know, that I'm populating from, uh, the actual link to that RSS feed, the link directly to Apple podcasts and my actual podcast page and all of the emails that I've ever used for my Apple ID is what I gave them in the trouble ticket. And they write back the following. Hello, David. Thank you for contacting us. For missing episodes issue, please provide the following information. The steps to reproduce the issue, full window screenshots or a video illustrating the issue, system information, device model and OS version number, approximate and date and time the error occurred, including the time zone. Okay. Anna, which is who this is from, Anna. I don't see how any of that shit is even relevant. Steps to reproduce the issue. What? There's one step. I log into my Podcast Connect account on iTunes Podcast, and it's telling me that I'm basically a brand, is giving me the, you're a brand new customer. How would you, uh, where's your, you know, we'll set up your podcast for you. I'm like, I already have a podcast. All right, so I don't know how the steps are going to do it. Full window screenshots, full full a screenshot of what exactly? The 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 page that says, "Hey, it looks like you want to set up a podcast." None of this actually is the information that they need to fix this little red wagon, or at least tell me what the hell's going on. Because for all intents and purposes, it looks like they just shut me down. I don't know why, but. You know, I mean, it's not that bad of a podcast. I've, I've heard worse. Come on. I mean, come on. Anyway, so the, the issue with Apple Podcasts is still not resolved. I'm continuing to work on the issue. Yes, it's hurting listenership. No, I'm not going to cry about it. But dude, honestly, I, I, I don't know, man. It seems like a, it, it was almost like the email that I got back was completely non sequitur. To my problem and geared more for somebody whose podcast, you know, Apple uh, iTunes podcast app on their iPhone has stopped working. Okay, no, that's 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 what it seems like. That's what it seems like they've interpreted my little red wagon as 
and they're trying to fix, you know, my little red tricycle, which doesn't have a problem. I don't, I don't know, whatever. Moving on, waking up to yet another, another dip, and I, I presume there's more China FUD on the horizon. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll work it out. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're nervous, go do something else. Honestly, man, you know, go, you know, if you quit your job to be in crypto and now it's not working out for you, it's not like that shit hasn't happened before. Yeah, go find something else to do. Yeah, go find something else in the industry, even ground floor shit. I mean, just, you know, something to pay the bills and wait this shit out because at one point or another, the China FUD ends once and for all. And I got more to say about that, but first we're going to talk about, oh, Canada. Uh, the Canadian Basketball League is going to pay players in Bitcoin. This is Namcios writing for Bitcoin Magazine. The Canadian Elite Basketball League <clears throat> announced that it will allow its players to receive a portion of their salaries in Bitcoin through a partnership with Canadian Bitcoin Exchange BitBuy. Quote, some of the best players outside of the NBA and some with NBA experience have joined our league because we make player first decisions, said Mike Morali the commissioner and CEO of the CEBL, per the announcement, quote, our partnership with BitBuy speaks to our commitment to players and also to our forward-thinking approach to how we go about our business. We appreciate BitBuy's investment in helping us further grow Canada's official National Pro Basketball League, end quote. Put a tie on the suit speak, dude. According to the announcement, the services provided by BitBuy will encourage Bitcoin self-custody. The Canadian exchange will work with the CEBL to convert the players' Canadian dollar-denominated salaries into Bitcoin and help them receive BTC in personal wallets. Additionally, BitBuy, which has over 300,000 customers, will also become a league sponsor through the, sports, uh, through the partnership. Oh, nice. Quote, we're proud to support homegrown Canadian sports and to partner with the league on this first market initiative, said Charlie Aikenhead, Vice President of market of Marketing at BitBuy, in the announcement, quote, we think this represents <clears throat> a significant shift in how athletes are thinking about compensation, and we're excited to help the CEBL's players protect their long-term wealth by getting paid in Bitcoin, end quote. The partnership was triggered following players in the league voicing interest in getting paid in Bitcoin after NFL player Russell Okung became the first professional sports player in North America to receive a portion of his salary in Bitcoin. Since then, a trend has formed with numerous famous players also asking for BTC instead of dollars. In the CEBL, Guelph Nighthawks guard Kimball McKenzie will be one of the pioneers to opt in and protect their purchasing power with Bitcoin. Quote, the opportunity to be paid in Bitcoin is something I'm incredibly excited about, McKenzie said, per the announcement. The ability to have part of my salary go directly into an investment, ugh, that I believe will appreciate greatly over the next 10 to 30 years is a no-brainer. The CEBL continues to provide us as players with forward-thinking opportunities. Oh, the forward-thinking term again. Like that wasn't scripted. And the option to be paid in Bitcoin further highlights that they are one of the top leagues in the world, end quote. Okay, okay, cool. And it doesn't look, you know, th these kinds of stories coming out today doesn't look good considering the, the price drop and obviously volatility. And this is, this is why I don't, I don't like looking at Bitcoin as a quote investment at all, like ever. This is just transitioning to a new type of money. 
That's what it is. And I, I don't know, man, when people use investment, the term investment around Bitcoin, I don't know, man, I just kind of get a little, it just raised the hackles on, on my back. <clears throat> but anyway, moving on, we've got trouble in El Salvador. That's right, people in opposition poses a constitutional challenge to El Salvador's Bitcoin law. Of course it was coming. Of course, because now you can use Bitcoin as a political football, even though Bitcoin itself doesn't give shit one about politics. Martin Young tells us more from Cointelegraph. El Salvador's grand plans to promote Bitcoin adoption could be turned on their head if President Bukele's Bitcoin law is proven to be unconstitutional in the country's courts. A group of citizens joining forces with political party Farabundo Marti National Liberation Front, or the FMLN, has filed a lawsuit claiming President Bukele's Bitcoin adoption program is unconstitutional. FMLN legislator Jaime Guevara led the move along with citizens, including plaintiff Oscar Artiro, who characterized the country's Bitcoin law as lacking in legality, foundation, and did not consider the significance and harmful effects that such a law will cause to the country, according to a rough translation from local media outlet El Mundo, which is the world. Guerva or Guevara stated the complaint will test the newly appointed magistrates of the Constitutional Chamber of the Supreme Court of Justice. The FMLN came third in February's legislative election with nearly ooh, 7% of the vote, while Bukele's new ideas established a dominant lead with two-thirds of the votes. Second-placed Nationalist Republican Alliance secured nearly 8% of the vote. Salvadorian lawyer Enrique Anaya commented that the presidential house was not clear on how to implement the Bitcoin law, which was approved on June the 9th, and suspects that the lawmakers may have even initiated the lawsuit internally. Guevara stated that, or Guevara stated that it is widely rumored the Bitcoin law advances the agenda of President Nayib Bukele and his New Ideas Party at the expense of the public interest, stating, uh, describing the lawsuit as simply representing the people. A survey of 1,600 individuals conducted by the Chamber of Commerce and Industry of El Salvador between June the 11th and 15th indicated that more than 8 out of 10 Salvadorans would not agree to receive payments and salaries in Bitcoin. On June the 16th, El Salvador's Minister of Labor and Social Welfare, Rolando Castro, said the country is not yet ready to adopt Bitcoin for salary payments. The adoption plan has already experienced pushback from the World Bank, of course, which refused to assist the country in its transition, citing the environmental and transparency shortcomings associated with the digital asset. As reported by Cointelegraph, even if the Bitcoin law remains in place, there are still many hurdles to mainstream adoption by an entire nation due to its scaling limitations. Oh, for God's sakes. At the time of writing, Bitcoin prices have slumped 7% over the past 24 hours to trade at $32,800. Okay, you knew it was going to happen. If you didn't know it was going to happen, well, I can't help you, but it was going to happen. <clears throat> Bitcoin being turned into a political football at any time is always going to be possible, even though all the people in the know realize that Bitcoin is not political. But like all tools in the toolbox, you can use a hammer to do some pretty nefarious shit. You know, it's supposed to drive a nail through wood and some other things, but, you know, it should be limited in the tool's usage. And yet it's used in murders. You know, it's, it's used in, in, you know, to threaten people. It, w the hammer doesn't know it's a hammer. 
And Bitcoin doesn't know it's Bitcoin. All Bitcoin does is follow a certain set of rules. What happens on the externality or on the externalities is completely up to humans, which have a great and long and storied history of fucking everything up. So to have fun staying poor with your 7% of the vote. Now that said, even some of us Bitcoiners kind of got a little, kind of getting a little weird about the fact that being made legal tender means that you're forced to take it. However, in the articles themselves, they say, look, man, if you're not technologically uh, set up to do such things, we will help you do that. But during the meantime, uh, you've got sort of a moratorium. But even with that provision, and I believe that's Article 14, which basically kind of gives us some levity to Article 7, which says you got to take it. Um, Being forced to do anything is kind of wrong. And I get why, I kind of get why they're doing it, because if they don't make that kind of move, you know, what will it, what would adoption look like if they really are trying to get out from under the thumb of the West, which is one of the things that I think El Salvador sees Bitcoin as a tool for doing. However, you know, if they had just said, I mean, I just don't think that it would have been too terrible of a situation if they said, look, we're going to have it as legal tender and anyone can accept it and all the and all the banks you know would have to accept it but you as retailers or you getting paid as a worker if you don't want it hey that's fine and then let the momentum build internally where other people are going damn you know this would be a lot easier if i could just pay you through strike and then let that organically foment and i i'm not sure if that would have been a terrible way to go you know, but I'm not also not sure if forcing it as legal tender is a terrible way to go, except it does kind of violate the non-aggression principle. It's kind of aggressive. All right. So, you know, you can kind of think about it how you want, but it wouldn't have mattered either way. Because I get the feeling that for the for the decades that I've been on this earth, <clears throat> And hearing what I've heard about westernized, you know, through the channels of westernized corporate media about all of the people, not people, but all of the governments of Latin America is that they're like, they're always corrupt and they're always evil. And I personally think that maybe it's possible that I've been lied to for decades. So we're going to have to see how this shit rolls out. And it's probably not, it's not, it was never going to be easy. It just, it can't be, it just can't be easy. Uh, Nothing in life that's good is easy, including hash rate. (laughs) What the hash rate free fall means for the Bitcoin market is brought to you by Bitcoin Magazine and Dylan LeClaire. In last Thursday's Daily Dive, we covered the hash ribbons indicator and what it meant for the price of Bitcoin since that write-up. Hash rate has fallen even more, and it seems that the exodus out of China is the catalyst. Since the beginning of May, when hash rate was at an all-time high, hash rate on the Bitcoin network has fallen by approximately 30%. With the falling hash rate, Bitcoin has witnessed two straight downward difficulty adjustments of 15.97% and 5.30% respectively, with another 16.1% estimated to be coming within the next week. The fall in hash rate has placed immense strain on remaining miners on the network who have seen their margins reduced due to slower block times. 
Since June the 1st, the Bitcoin balance in minor wallets has been reduced by some 5,740 BTC, a confirmation that miners are facing increasing pressure. It is also very likely that miners who are geographically located within China that are moving elsewhere are having to liquidate some of their Bitcoin to cover the costs associated with exiting that region. Of course, <clears throat> of course they are. You don't move for free and you sure as shit don't move, you know, thousands of tons of equipment, especially electronic equipment, because it's not like you're just throwing rocks on a pile. They have to be packed. They have to be, you know, there's a lot of labor that goes into just packing these things up to move. Otherwise, they're going to bounce around on the truck or even in an airplane and get all jacked up by the time that they get to wherever it is that they're going and they can't plug them in. So they got, they got to buy fuel. They got to rent trucks. They got to hire people. They, they got to get this shit like deinstalled. They got to move. They got to reinstall it. It's, this is a large job. And while it is true that Bitcoin mining is really mobile, it doesn't mean that it's like going to do it at 90 miles an hour. As, as with everything Bitcoin, it's a slow and steady, but, you know, it's slow, but a steady pace nonetheless. And it just continues to go on. All this shit's going to come back online, and I don't even look at the hash rate. Because of the difficulty adjustment, I don't have to worry about it. The only thing that this thing, this story kind of illustrates, though, is that because of the reduced uh, time that some of these miners are getting, you know, well, actually all the miners are getting less revenue because the blocks are coming in slower. We get that. But if you have a mining operation and you didn't build in padding for a two-week difficulty adjustment, then you don't belong in the mining industry, and I'm sorry about that, but we'll see who survives. Now, Van Eck has filed for yet a new Bitcoin futures mutual fund with the United States SEC. Helen Parts has it for Cointelegraph. United States investment firm Van Eck has filed for a new BTC futures mutual fund with the Securities and Exchange Commission. According to a prospectus filed on Monday, the new Bitcoin strategy fund will invest in Bitcoin futures contracts, as well as pooled investment vehicles and exchange traded products that provide exposure to Bitcoin. The fund will not invest in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies directly. God forbid. The fund will have exposure to certain Bitcoin futures through its fully owned subsidiary operating in the Cayman Islands. The subsidiary has the same investment objective as the fund and will allow the same general investment policies and restrictions, except that unlike the fund, it may invest without limit in Bitcoin futures, the prospectus notes. The fund's portfolio will be managed by Gregory Krenzer, Deputy Portfolio Manager for the Van Eck Commodity Index Strategy and Head of Active Trading with extensive experience in commodities, natural resource equities, and emerging markets. Krenzer has been with the Van Eck Associates Corporation since 1994 and has over 25 years of experience in the international and financial markets. <clears throat> The latest filing comes just a few days after the SEC delayed approval for Van Eck's Bitcoin exchange traded fund, Van Eck Bitcoin Trust, for the second time this year. The SEC is seeking additional public comments, extending the review period by 45 days. Since Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss first attempted to get SEC approval for a Bitcoin ETF back in 2017, the securities regulator has rejected numerous efforts to launch such a project and has yet to approve a Bitcoin ETF. Meanwhile, other countries like Canada have been moving forward with Bitcoin ETFs. 
with a three IQ and CoinShares Bitcoin ETF going live on the Toronto Stock Exchange in April of 2020. Also remember that <clears throat> there's, I believe there is now four total uh, Bitcoin ETFs in Canada and one in Brazil. So I think we are sitting on five active Bitcoin ETFs, none of which are in the United States for the love of God. Moving on, why I bought Bitcoin as a Gen Z. Nick Hoffman is writing this for Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, let's see, he, start, he starts with uh, a tweet from Francis Pouliot. Uh, it says, Gen Z is the lost generation. Debt, inflation, no ethics, no families, no freedoms, unemployment, widespread shame, scared of everything, psychological trauma, welfare Ponzi imploding, bag holders of the fiat standard, they don't even have savings to buy Bitcoin. I couldn't have said it better myself. So why did I buy Bitcoin when I was 18 and why do I continue to buy it now at 21? After my high school graduation, I was no longer a kid anymore. I was an adult. <clears throat> Being an adult is expensive. Eventually, most adults want to buy a car, a house, fund their lifestyle, you know, go on vacations, retire, etc. That is all extremely expensive and can seem like an impossible task to afford taking into account the setbacks that come with our generation. We are taught to save our wealth in U.S. dollars, which are constantly being devalued due to the Federal Reserve printing more dollar bills, especially with the massive amounts printed in the past year. As inflation creeps in, the prices of nearly everything we wish to afford, cars, houses, food, etc., go up in price. We're holding money that is devaluing while the prices of things we wish to acquire skyrocket, double wrecked. Because we are getting double wrecked, most assets have become completely out of reach for the average person. This forces people to take on debt to purchase what they need. Taking on huge debt has historically proven to be disastrous for one's financial life. It ruins you, and it can have unintended consequences in other areas of your personal life. For example, a study found that couples with no assets at the beginning of a three-year period are 70% more likely to divorce by the end of that period than couples with $10,000 in assets. Imagine losing your significant other due to stress over money. These are life-changing consequences. Buying Bitcoin fixes this by having a set-in-stone supply of 21 million coins that no central bank, government, corporation, or individual can print more of. I can sleep easy at night knowing nobody is printing away my life savings. Over time, I acquire more Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin skyrockets and everything around me gets cheaper. The price of Bitcoin outperforms the cost of whatever I want, so now I can afford the house, car, lifestyle, early retirement, and still have money left over. Here is the inflation on housing in my home state of Virginia via Neighborhood Scout. These numbers mean that if you're saving in U.S. dollars and aren't getting raises every year that beat these numbers, then you have no chance of owning a house. You need to put your money into something that outpaces this so that you can buy a house and still have some left over. All right, so he's got a graph, or not a graph, but he's got a uh, sort of a spreadsheet here that says uh, the time, you know, time period, the total appreciation and the average annual rate that it goes up or, or down. And we're talking about housing here. So over the last year, houses uh, or the last quarter, the houses basically went up 1.68% in total appreciation, and that's just in one quarter. Over the last 12 months, it went up 5.67% in appreciation on housing. Last two years, 
10.84% in the last five, 21.32%. The last 10 years, appreciation has increased by 27.24%. Since the year 2000, housing costs have gone up 123.2%. Continuing with the article, <clears throat> the reasons above led me to diving deeper into Bitcoin and realizing how important it is that I save my wealth in the best form of money that there is. I wanted something hyperinflation proof. Bitcoin, the apex predator of money, is the best store of value for me to safely secure my wealth and be able to purchase everything I need without going into debt. As Francis stated in the tweet at the top of this article, I too did not have any savings other than the $500 I had from working the summer before, so I got a job and started working like a dog to earn US cuck bucks to buy Bitcoin. I haven't stopped and don't plan on it, and in real time, my thesis above is played out to perfection. Accumulate BTC, the price goes up and outperforms the stuff I wish to acquire. And now I have the funds to purchase what I need with BTC left over. No more stress, debt, or uncertainty about my future. Now that I have nothing holding me back, I can live my life to the fullest. As a Gen Z, Bitcoin changed my life and it can do wonders for my Gen Z brothers and sisters as well. There's really not a lot to say about that, Nick. You know, Hoffman pretty much covered it pretty well as to the situation that's that's going on um, with BlackRock buying up every house that they can, you know, and, and what's odd is that they're buying up single family homes. I would think that they'd be going after multifamily dwellings, you know, apartments and whatnot like that. But no, they're going after single family homes. And I just find that, I find that like target, like a targeted harassment. And maybe it's just because there's no apartments for sale. Then there's just more houses for sale because more and more are starting to, you know, come online because now home builders are jumping on the bandwagon and going ahead and completing projects because they know they're going to be able to sell them to BlackRock for 25 to 35% above market value. So they're just increasing the their sale price for the completion of the house by 25 to 30 to 35% just so that they can say, well, here's what it costs. And maybe they can get 10% over even that. What does that do to people like Nick Hoffman? Well, without Bitcoin, Nick Hoffman is, is dead in the water. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really bad situation. Canada, United States, most, you know, most of Europe, at least Australia there, it's all, it's all going on all over the world, except in places like guess where Africa, Central America, South America is not is not as bad. Now, South Africa, it's probably terrible because South Africa is considered a Western nation. But, you know, it's if just saying that it's like it's God, it's almost as if anything that the West touches turns into shit, which is sad. It doesn't have to be that way. But yeah, right now, it apparently is that way. Now, <clears throat> from Cointelegraph, we have Mark Powers. El Salvador is the unlikely leader for sovereign adoption of Bitcoin as a national currency. So we're going back to El Salvador. While attending the Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami two weeks ago, several things struck me as interesting and significant. While many others have already reported on the conference, my focus will be on a handful of comments or events that I believe are important for the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. First, the conference was full of church-like believers and those curious about crypto and Bitcoin. Mayor Francis Suarez kicked off the festivities in grand fashion, noting that Miami was the first United States city to place the 2008 Bitcoin white paper on its government's website. 
As a transplanted New Yorker who now calls Miami home and teaches blockchain law to students there, this made me proud. When the MC asked how many in the audience had been to this particular Bitcoin conference in prior years, many hands of the 12,000 strong crowd went up. These attendees were long-term hodlers, developers, investors, and entrepreneurs, and they had a strong libertarian slant as evidenced in the warmly received keynote speech by Ron Paul, a former senator from Texas, who said that authoritarians were running our government and the Federal Reserve and taking our liberties and rights away. Wow, I did not realize Ron Paul had become so radicalized or had already been so. Oh, dude, no, 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 no. Ron Paul's been radicalized for at least a couple of decades. And he wasn't exactly, you know, Homer Simpson-like about shit before that. He's been pretty much on point the entire time that I've known of Ron Paul. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor said that Bitcoin is the life force of the world. Draper Fisher Jurvetson founder Tim Draper commented that Bitcoin represented freedom and trust. I love that the Winklevi, who used the metaphor that Bitcoin is software to gold's hardware and delighted the crowd by proclaiming that the United States dollar is the biggest shit coin of them all. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey rationalized that the internet needs a native currency. Noteworthy too is who was not in attendance, the suits and non-believers, so to speak, the financial intermediaries, capitalists, and those minions, uh, or sorry, capitalists and their minions who will be marginalized or eliminated were the true promise and primary purpose of blockchain realized according to Satoshi Nakamoto. Those absent included the traditional commercial and merchant banks, the venture capital and private equity firms, the traditional investment banks and hedge funds, and the companies and professionals such as law firms and accounting firms helping them play catch up or helping them figure out a way to own the blockchain and thus the consumers and public through permission to blockchains. For me, I found this refreshing. It felt like the exciting programs I attended in 20, oh, or sorry, 2018 during a time when these same absent players were calling Bitcoin a hoax or fraud and were gleeful at its price collapse that year. While not all those from 2018 understood what the rules of the road might be to create mass adoption or the best path, <clears throat> there was sincerity, grand camaraderie, <clears throat> and a passion for the efforts and speakers, understanding that there is a large unbanked part of the world that could benefit economically and politically from this untethered financial system BTC can create. There they were, or sorry, there were those who realized rampant inflation and insidiously and stealthily devaluing the assets of citizenry. As the co-founder and CEO of Paxos, Charles Cascaria, said at Bitcoin 2021, Bitcoin is not just a good idea, but a legitimate idea for an alternative financial system. Let's pick this up on the other side of running the numbers. It's late enough in the day for me to actually read what's going on in an open stock market today. The S&P 500 is up a third of a point. NASDAQ is up 0.4%. The Dow Jones is up scant at 0.07%. The FTSE is up a third. The Nikkei is up 3.12%. The Hang Seng is down 0.63. Shanghai is up 0.8. And volatility has dropped uh, by 5.48%. Interesting. Kind of an interesting drop right there. 
Uh, let's see, futures and commodities. We got oil coming in down 0.7%, but still West Texas Intermediate is fetching a price of $73.14. Natural gas is swinging for the fences at 2.19% to the upside. $3 and a quarter is going to get you 1,000 cubic feet of that. Let's go and we'll talk about real money here, which is at $32,079. So quite the bounce from 28,000 that apparently I slept through this morning, thank God. 235,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives you about 10,000 transactions per hour on average. But only 655,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hour period. That's around 27,000 being sent on average per hour with a 2.9, sorry, 2.79 BTC being the average transaction value and the median transaction value 0.03 BTC or right around 970 bucks. Block times are at 13 minutes and 20 seconds. Almost a half a Bitcoin being taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 50 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a 3.78% loss of hash rate, we are just over 100 exahashes per second. Oh my God, a security level that we haven't seen in months. Oh, gee, for God's sakes, everybody needs to stop pulling their hair out. Your shitcoin indicator, and if you bought in at 70 cents uh, for Dogecoin, uh, you will be pulling your hair out. It's down sub 20 cents. It's at 19.8 US pennies. It should really be sub one penny. That's my opinion. Clark Moody is showing 34,790 transactions waiting on 30 blocks to clear. So the, so quote unquote, the mempool is back in action, bro. $612.9 billion of Bitcoin market capitalization captures 5.32% of gold's entire market cap. And with your one Bitcoin, you can procure 18.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks. For that one Bitcoin, good God, I screwed that up. The money supply. Let's run the numbers. 18,740,541.5 BTC are in circulation at this time. 1,592 of those are locked in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $52.1 million. That's being run over, God, we're about to pass 12,000 nodes, y'all. 11,880 nodes that we know about representing 50,213 channels that we know about. And Tor, okay, Tor is back. It, it was gone yesterday, but today it's back. We have 64.4% of the Lightning Network being run over Tor nodes. There are 1,025.4 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 6,475 nodes that we know about. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Continuing with our article we left off at before we ran the numbers, we have, also interesting to me, is the lack of discussion today about the legitimacy of cryptocurrencies as an investment, both at the conference and elsewhere. Back in the day, I remember sitting on a panel advocating for blockchain and crypto with a fellow panelist, an ex-Goldman dude, dismissing crypto by saying he would only accept equity or notes for any investment in a blockchain startup. 
Remember when the non-believers and others praying for BTC's demise noted that owning a cryptocurrency was fool's play as the coin did not provide you as an investor with shareholder-like dividend rights, rights to any profits of the startup or ecosystem or governance rights. It is astounding how that concern has almost evaporated from conversations about crypto now that there is a market capitalization of around $1.2 trillion in total in the trading of cryptocurrency futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange parent company, Intercontinental Exchange. Maybe DeFi gets some of the credit for that as it allows investors to earn, quote, interest by loaning and staking their coins. And some credit also goes to the growing popularity of proof of stake rather than proof of work. Oh, God. Sorry, guys, but it, you know, it happened. I, I ran over it like I ran over a turtle. I'm, I, I can't stop and save that turtle's life. So, yes, he said proof of work or proof of stake. Continuing. However, the showstopper was not Tony Hawk nor the woman who appeared to be screaming at Dorsey from the first row about Twitter's privacy policies. It was the young president of the Republic of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele, who hails from the most densely populated country in Central America. He appeared via a video broadcast toward the end of the conference. Since 2001, El Salvador has abandoned its own fiat currency, the Cologne, and adopted the United States dollar as, as its official currency. At the conference, Bukele announced that the country would adopt Bitcoin as a second native fiat currency on par with the United States dollar. A few days later, the legislature there passed a new law doing just that. In Miami, he explained that this adoption will generate jobs and will help provide financial inclusion to thousands outside the normal or the formal economy. It is reported that around 70% of the adult population in El Salvador does not have a bank account or a credit card. The law reportedly requires, not just allows, <clears throat> all merchants to accept BTC for goods and services in commercial transactions, with an exception only for those businesses that lack the technology to do so. Again, that's Article 14 of that bill. It also eliminates any capital gains tax on the exchange of BTC for transactions to provide more stability for the digital asset. Finally, a development bank will be created to hold $150 million in BTC to allow merchants the ability to instantly convert BTC to U.S. dollars, a double wow, Today, we have many countries and municipalities experimenting with use cases for blockchain outside of the financial promise, including for supply chain providence and recording of real estate transactions. Examples include Sweden, the country of Georgia, and the United Arab Emirates, and with help of the International Monetary Fund, others include Bolivia, Peru, and Argentina, but no country has ever put assets developed by computer code on par with the U.S. dollar. It will be interesting to see how the rest of the sovereign states react to this. I am already reading about studies from economists claiming that El Salvador's economy will collapse from this legislation and the IMF is posturing. Let's see which country will do well with Let's see which country will be next to do the same. I predict that there will be many in the next few years allowing for this dual system to coexist in these countries. It is something I have been predicting would occur since 2018. All right, so there's there's something that has been bugging me about this this legal tender law um, in El Salvador, and it's like a it's one of those it's like a splinter in my mind, and I I I just can't get rid of it, and I finally figured out what it is. It is in fact the that in 2001. 
the dollar became uh, legal tender in El Salvador. Now, we should probably go back and look at that particular law. And if I read Spanish, I would already have it up on my screen so that we could look and see what the provisions in the El Salvadorian bill that was passed into law making the United States dollar legal tender. And the question becomes if the United States, United States dollar as legal tender was mandated to be accepted by all merchants for goods and services rendered. If this is the case, then the lawsuit against Bitcoin being done in the same fashion is a moot point. Because if they did it with the US dollar, they can do it with Bitcoin. So, and again, I, you know, I, it gives my stomach kind of churns a little bit when we think about forcing somebody to do something because that's a violation of non-aggression principles. You can't really force somebody to do something. And if you do, that's, that's wrong and it's unethical and, and immoral. But in this particular case, if they've already gone through this shit once, right? If they've already gone through it once with the United States dollar, then I don't see what the difference is with Bitcoin. Or if they said, screw it, we'll make the euro legal tender and all merchants. I mean, because if they didn't tell all the merchants that they had to accept the U.S. dollars for good and services, then what happens? Well, they have shitty money. They have the cologne, which was in, in dire straits before the U.S. dollar came in. Right. So everybody migrated to the U.S. dollar because they were like going, oh, thank God. So here, the only difference is the fact that we're dealing with a monetary good, Bitcoin in this case, that is relatively volatile because we're in price discovery. It's a geopolitical football. There's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, but the, the system itself is actually fairly simple. It's how the hum, humanity is interacting with that particular system that allows for all kinds of, of unexpected things to, to occur. And that is all going to lead to volatility. So the only argument that the El Salvadoran opposition party to the Bitcoin law have is the volatility. Because I bet you my bottom dollar that I'm not wrong in saying that the United States dollar was forced upon the El Salvadorans through executive action in 2001, replacing the cologne as legal tender and therefore all merchants had to take the US dollar for goods and services rendered and I didn't hear any bitching about that just I'm just saying let's move on denied electricity the world's fifth largest mining pool leaves China for Kazakhstan so China can say goodbye to btc.com BTC.com, a major crypto mining pool that is operated by BitMining and owned by the NYSE-listed Chinese lottery service provider 500.com, has announced the successful relocation of its first batch of mining machines to Kazakhstan. BTC.com was founded by Ji Han Wu and was operated by Bitmain and Bitdeer until its acquisition by 500.com this February. As of the time of writing, the pool is the world's fifth largest, validating 10.4% of blocks on the Bitcoin blockchain. The relocation comes after the company was notified by the state grid in western Sichuan province that the power supply serving one of its local data centers would be suspended imminently. In its announcement yesterday, BitMining stated, quote, on June the 19th, 2021, the company's indirectly held subsidiary, 
Ganzi Shange Hydropower Consumption Service Company Limited received notice from State Grid Sichuan Ganzi Electric Power Company Limited informing Ganzi Shange Data Center that its power supply would be suspended. Effective 9 p.m. Beijing time, June 19, 2021, Ganzi Data Center has since suspended its operations. Data centers in Sichuan, including the Ganzi Data Center, contributed approximately 3% of the company's total revenues in the month of May 2021, end quote. The intervention from the state grid comes amid an ongoing crackdown on crypto mining by the Chinese state due to concerns over the mining industry's carbon footprint, which runs counter to China's decarbonization targets, which is bullshit. We'll get to that later. In areas such as Inner Mongolia, once popular with crypto miners, regional authorities have been established a decade hot or has, sorry, regional authorities have even established a dedicated hotline for the local public to directly report any suspected illicit mining activities. Amid these pressures, at least three mining firms, BTC Top, Huobi, and Hashcow, have recently been driven to cease their activities on the mainland. Bit Mining CEO is Yang Feng Yang has gestured towards this backdrop, claiming that the company is committed to protecting the environment and lowering our carbon footprint. We have been strategically expanding our operations overseas as part of our growth strategy, following our investments in cryptocurrency mining data centers in Texas and Kazakhstan. We are accelerating our overseas development for alternative high quality mining resources, end quote. While China has been an early mover against crypto miners, Authorities elsewhere are increasingly signaling their concerns about power-guzzling mining sites, for the most part less on climate grounds than for their impact on local energy provision. In late April, a former government official argued that crypto mining was a major driver of the energy crisis in Kyrgyzstan. Similar concerns have been voiced in the Caucasus and in Iran. In line with China, global regulators and nonprofits, Elon Musk this year made a notorious intervention when he announced Tesla would no longer be accepting BTC as payment for vehicles due to concerns about the high energy consumption of Bitcoin mining. Fuck you, Elon Musk. Here's the way that shit worked. He buys a shit ton of Bitcoin. And then later he announces that he's going to start accepting Bitcoin for payment of Teslas. From what I've heard, all you could really do is put down your down payment on a cyber truck with Bitcoin and possibly other cars, but not pay for it fully in Bitcoin, which was never really stated. So therefore, I don't know if it's true or not. But anyway, what is true is that about three weeks later, he pulls the plug on it, doing a complete about face, which if I was sitting on his board of directors, I would be absolutely horrified that I allowed this guy to buy $1.5 billion worth of an asset that three weeks later he turns around and shits on. Is that a CEO that has the company's best interests in mind? No, no, it is not. And by the way, I forgot to, to give attribution here. I think Marie Juliet is writing that one for Cointelegraph. So that was Marie, one of my, one of my favorites. Now, <clears throat> prepare yourselves. Gird your loins, girls and boys, because the most violent human ever to grace the planet, Nick Carter, has this one from Coindesk. Go West Bitcoin, unpacking the great hash rate migration. By now, it should be clear the hash rate migration is real. Miners are leaving China for good. 
As of April 2020, an estimated 65% of Bitcoin hash rate was domiciled in China with confirmed bans across the country. That figure will be far lower 12 months from now. The precise magnitude and schedule for the westward move is currently unknown, but all signals seem to be indicating the greatest shakeup in the geographic makeup of Bitcoin mining since the start of the industrial mining era. Hypotheses for the motivations behind China's move to eliminate mining abound, although no single explanation appears sufficient as of yet. One obvious explanation would be a desire to meet climate targets and reduce emissions. But this, and this is important people, but this is contradicted by China's continued embrace of coal power. It added three times as much in 2020 as the rest of the world combined. And that the crackdown extended to hydro-powered regions like Sichuan. Officially, the justification for the crackdown on Bitcoin mining and trading behavior announced in the statement issued by Vice Premier Liu He was to, quote, resolutely prevent the transmission of individual risks to the social field, end quote. If the objective is to curb speculation in cryptocurrency, exchanges would be the more obvious targets, although or even though executives at the onshore exchanges Huobi and OKX do periodically get detained and harassed by the Chinese state, those exchanges are still up and running, and banning mining does little to inhibit Ponzi's like Plus Token, which the Chinese state considers to be a source of social instability. Other analysts have said China sees Bitcoin as a competitor to its own digital currency project, the DCEP. But again, Bitcoin mining is a largely self-contained industry. Banning mining does little to inhibit Bitcoin transactions or exchanges. They are totally distinct concerns. Transactions can be assembled and included in blocks anywhere. The Chinese crypto industry would work, work perfectly well even if all mining was domiciled offshore. Another popular plausible motive for the ban would be continued efforts to stem unmanaged capital outflows. The RMB USDT markets are probably the most popular crypto-enabled means of offshoring wealth from the mainland, but mining could also be interpreted as a way to convert local currency into highly mobile global wealth. Buy electricity and ASICs, create hash rate, and receive know-your-customer-free tokens that can be circulated and sold worldwide. At 60% of global hash rate, that's a potential flow of $8.1 billion a year worth of Bitcoin into Chinese miner wallets. Quote, whether it's the U.S. or other locales that grow their market share at the expense of China, it will be a significant win for Bitcoin's decentralization. End quote. One alternative explanation that bears noting but has received little discussion so far is the continued integration of the Chinese grid. As China developed its energy resources and became the largest builder of energy infrastructure over the last few decades, it developed an extremely unbalanced grid with enormous mismatches between supply and demand. China's scale and varied geography and energy grid meant that extremely abundant energy resources were being produced in remote locations where there simply wasn't demand for them. In northern provinces like Xinjiang and Inner Mongolia, huge amounts of power from coal and wind and solar went unconsumed. And in the southern provinces of Sichuan and Yunnan, abundant hydro resources far exceeded local demand.
the major population centers in China are mostly among the southern and eastern coast, thousands of miles away from the most abundant and cheap sources of energy. As a consequence, China became the world's capital of energy curtailment. As described by Ohm's law, electricity simply doesn't travel well at standard voltages and so must be produced relatively close to load centers. When there isn't local demand for energy, it goes unused. Okay, I'm going to hold off here to make the following statement. Um, come, I was listening to, oh God, who was it? Oh, I can't remember the podcast, but there, I think it was a, I think it was a Peter McCormick, uh, what Bitcoin did podcast was talking to an energy professional and the rate or the length of distance that you have at current technology to transport electricity anywhere on the globe is about 500 miles. So after 500 miles, you ain't transporting shit. And China's a very large country. So is the United States for that matter. You know, to like from one end of Texas to the other end of Texas exceeds a 500 mile distance. So just keep that shit in mind. So continuing in 2016, 2017, China was curtailing, effectively wasting extreme amounts of power. In 2017, Chinese curtailment from hydropower reached 55 terawatt hours a figure equivalent to the entire energy output of the country of Switzerland. Oh, that's so violent. In 2016, China curtailed yet another 52.2 terawatt hours of wind and solar. There simply was insufficient local demand to consume this abundance of energy, leading authorities to rethink the grid's design. Starting in 2010, China has been constructing an ambitious continent-spanning ultra-high voltage power transmission network to transmit power from remote regions with abundant energy to load centers balancing out the grid. Today, 40,000 kilometers of high voltage transmission exist with the longest lines stretching over 3,000 kilometers. Okay, so that's well over 500 miles. So I guess this has something to do with ultra high voltage transmission. So apparently we do have the technology. We'll see where this goes. Much has been made of the Chinese Communist Party's DCEP ambitions or general aversion to freedom tech like Bitcoin and justifying the mining ban. Less has been said about the fact that the presence of miners in China was always contingent on the availability of stranded energy. The central and regional government had hitherto tolerated the monetization of excess energy uh, because it simply wasn't being put to alternative economic use. But as the grid integration and load balancing has improved in the last five years, Bitcoin miners have increasingly begun to compete with other industrial and commercial uses. And while sources are hard to find, some analysts have characterized the mining crackdown as part of an anti-corruption campaign targeting regional officials for selling electricity on the black market. The inner Mongolian region our regional guidance also seems to hint at this, making specific references to public officials who use their positions to participate in virtual currency mining or provide convenience and protection for them. Through this lens, the CCP level crackdown could be interpreted as a reassertion of power relative to officials in far-flung provinces monetizing state resources without permission. Oh, God forbid, capitalism. The integration of the grid makes the central government much less willing to tolerate the regional monetization of energy now that miner-driven consumption increasingly rivals other load centers. By now, we know the crackdown is genuine. Machines are being turned off and hash rate is dipping. It is still unclear where these newly mobile miners will end up. 
The United States has the second most capacious grid in the world, and some miners appear optimistic about the opportunities to migrate hash rate west without sustained interruption. Hardware manufacturer Bitmain advertised at a recent conference for its elite clients an abundance of hosting opportunities inside the United States. While their assumptions about the amount of available hosting power were definitely aggressive, it's clear Chinese miners are looking westward. Raw electricity cost is no longer the sole consideration. Today, political stability, regulatory clarity, and a respect for private property rights are paramount in minor decision-making. Some hosting services will be able to accommodate the demand by rotating higher-end units from Chinese miners in for older units. Where shelf capacity does not exist, new infrastructure must be built. In the United States, obtaining the necessary permits can take upward of six months. Additionally, while some states like Texas and cities like Jackson, Tennessee, and Miami have indicated their openness to miners, others like New York have taken a decidedly hostile approach. Other, more convenient near-term geographies include Kazakhstan, Central Asia, and Russia. But whether it's the U.S. or other locales that grow their market share at the expense of China, it will be a significant win for Bitcoin's decentralization, the stability of mining, and Bitcoin's climate impact. At long last, Bitcoin's vulnerability to China and the CCP is melting away. I don't know what China's thinking here. I mean, and neither does Nick. I mean, although he had, he had a real good point about the possibility that this may be an internal crackdown on regional government officials who have quote unquote gone rogue and making shit tons of money, turning a blind eye to mining operations because they are so far away. And that's one of the reasons why the United States was able to break away and form our own union from the British Empire because we were across an entire you know, ocean. And they had their handfuls, they had their handful in India, right? So it wasn't exactly like they sent the, their best and brightest over to the United States, but it was still a formidable force. But, you know, China, man, you're talking about like thousands of miles of land. That's kind of, some, in some cases, it's more difficult to cross mountains than it is an ocean. Oceans are relatively flat unless you get into a squall or, you know, massive storm or something like that. So... That actually seems plausible that they're cracking down on, on internal, you know, regional governors uh, making money off of Bitcoin mining. But honestly, that doesn't seem like enough of a reason for this kind of move. I'm, I'm just saying. So I don't know what China's thinking, but I do know if that they continue on this road, one of two things is going to happen. <clears throat> First, they're just going to have fun staying poor because there's going to be a lot of other countries in the world that are not interested in whatever China's doing because they're not Chinese. They don't live in China. They don't do business with China and they're just going to form their, you know, do what it, whatever it is that they do and they want to sound money to do it with. And I don't plan on using the Chinese digital wand. Do you? No, I don't. And I'm not going to, and if forced, I will just use Bitcoin. I will go to a completely Bitcoin standard and whatever, you know, fiat money I have left over, it can just, I piss it away. I don't care anymore. This is ridiculous. We have to get out of this. Two, let's say China does this, the following scenario. They kick all the miners out and it actually happens. And we confirm from inside ground truth inside China that, well, 
I'll be damned. They, they did it. Son of a bitch actually did it. They kicked out all the miners. And then the CCP says, <clears throat> come on back. We're, you know what? We made a mistake. You know how many Chinese miners that made the exodus are going to move back? Some. And only because of possible, you know, family ties that they really homesick or whatever. And they'll, they'll put up with the fact that the volatility of the regulations in China concerning Bitcoin mining are just all over the place. But most will not. Most will have just had their fill. And wherever it is that they are, they're going to work for regulations that are favorable to them in countries that are not, sorry, not under communist control. Because that's the worst, <clears throat> the absolute worst kind of, you know, regulatory body that you can have is a straight up communist country. Anyway, that's the violent Nick Carter and what he had to say. A uh, stronghold digital mining raises $105 million to turn waste coal into Bitcoin. This is interesting, guys. Hold on to your seats. Cointelegraph's Eli Tan is writing this. The fight for clean energy-powered cryptocurrency mining moved forward on Tuesday as Stronghold Digital Mining, a digital asset miner powered by alternative energy, announced a $105 million funding round. The raise comes from two private placements of equity securities with investors being granted registration rights that require a future public listing, Stronghold told Coindesk. Investors include MG Capital, various family offices, and Greg Beard, a former senior partner at private equity firm Apollo Global Management. Beard is listed as Stronghold's co-chairman and CEO. The Pennsylvania company converts waste coal, a material left over from coal mining, into power used to mine Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, defined as a tier two alternative energy source by state regulators, waste coal is equivalent to hydropower in its environmental impact. I don't know how, but apparently so. The company estimates that for each Bitcoin mined, 200 tons of waste coal is eliminated. Quote, a negative impact on the environment has long been a criticism of Bitcoin mining with good reason, Beard said in a statement, adding, quote, our ownership of the scrub grass plant in Kennerdale, Pennsylvania, combined with the environmental benefits which accrue to the region, allow us to mine Bitcoin at what we believe are some of the lowest costs in the industry while making a transformational contribution to the environment, end quote. The company describes itself as a vertically integrated miner, meaning that in addition to owning its own mining hardware, it also owns a power plant. The setup, minus the waste coal, is reminiscent of mining firm Greenbridge Generation in neighboring New York State. The Bitcoin mining industry's carbon footprint has come under increased public scrutiny in recent months. In mid-May, Idiot Musk announced his company, Shitla, would no longer accept Bitcoin as a payment method, citing environmental concerns. Dick. Musk later said Tesla would resume payments once the mining industry reached 50% of clean energy usage, whatever the hell that means. Earlier this month, Senator Elizabeth Warren publicly criticized Bitcoin for its negative environmental impact in promoting itself as an ESG-friendly mining firm stronghold seeks to at least complicate the narrative around Bitcoin's environmental cost. Quote, coal waste fires have been wreaking havoc in my home state of Pennsylvania for the last hundred years, Stronghold co-chairman Bill Spence said in a statement adding, 
And here is where you need to, to listen here. Simply put, we employ 21st century crypto mining techniques to remediate the impacts of 19th and 20th century coal mining in some of the most environmentally neglected regions of the United States, end quote. Remediate. That's the most important word in this entire damn article. Remediation. If you go look at like, you know, <clears throat> what he's talking about but you can also go look at other stuff like stuff that we wouldn't be able to use for bitcoin mining and re like remediation efforts at i don't know a, a gold mine you can there in fact <clears throat> if you go to southwestern colorado and you start from durango and you drive all the way to ure and you do what's called the the golden it's like the golden loop or some the golden skyway or something like that when you go from Silverton up in and over the pass and get down into Ure, what you'll find is one of the largest Superfund remediation sites on the planet. And it was specifically designed to remediate all the gold and silver mining that went on in southwestern Colorado, at least in this particular region, because lo and behold, gold mining has a tendency to be environmentally impactful. Hundreds of billions of dollars, and dude, this was in the 90s, but hundreds of billions of dollars of World Bank kind of money was spent on hundreds of thousands of acres in the Rocky Mountains, not on the plains, no, hell no, in, like in some of the roughest country that you've ever seen. And it's, an ama it's actually kind of an amazing site. However, remediation is a, big deal. And Pennsylvania had a lot of coal mining. If you see where I'm going with this, there is no end to how we can gear our minds to figure out ways to apply Bitcoin. We're, we're applying it in so many different ways at this point. We apply it as a store of value. You can apply it as money. You can apply it as a messaging system. Now we can apply it as a remediation system. We can apply it as a incentive for renewable energy search and seizure. And I don't like to use seizure, but you know, search and procurement. I don't know, maybe it's a better, better way to term it. You get my drift. We're not gonna let this stop. You cannot stop this. It does too much good. It has the potential to do even more than we've ever imagined. We keep coming up with new ideas based on the exact same system. And you know why that is? Because Bitcoin in its of itself is such a simple system. And it does so much. It can be applied in ways we never thought possible before. And when this guy used the term remediation of 19th and 20th century coal mining, it just clicked. There's all manner of remediation. When a hurricane comes through like Houston, do you have any idea how much wood rate waste drops? Houston had to clean up twice after hurricanes inside of something like three years. We're talking about millions of tons of wood. And where did it go? Dump. It's the only place that they could put it or they burned it and they burned it in open pits in the atmosphere. But there's new technologies that are coming online and Bitcoin incentivizes so many of them. 
And that's why this particular dip can just suck it. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. I actually have a daily train wreck for you today. Uh, stupid things are starting to be said left and right again, finally. Apparently, apparently I started the daily train wreck when uh, Bitcoin was moving sideways and or down. And when that happens, stupid things are said. Stupid things are now being said again. So here it is from the European Central Bank and Christine Lagarde. Negative interest rates have often been criticized because of their potential side effects. Our assessment continues to be positive as the benefits continue to outweigh the costs. That's a load of horse pucky right there, pal. No, no, I'm not going to pay you rent to park my cash. That's just stupid. This is why I Bitcoin. Okay, that's the end of, we, we got 442 in the bag. Reminder, still having problems with Apple iTunes podcast. I'm not on, I'm, my shit's not propagating. Uh, help, if you want to help a brother out, put out the word to use some other, po- if they want to listen to Bitcoin and use some other podcasting like Blueberry or Overcast. My favorite is Breeze, going to give them a plug. No, they are not my sponsors. However, I'm incentivized to tell you about Breeze. Why? Because they have a podcasting app inside the Breeze wallet. And if you would like to spend your Satoshis to listen to my dulcet tones, they will stream directly on a minute per minute basis directly to my lightning node. No intermediaries except going through other channels and other lightning nodes. But the in custodian of the Satoshis that you send me because you think what I'm providing you is valuable, the in custodian is me. It's not a third party. It's not like Blue Wallet. It's not like Wallet of Satoshi or something like that. And some of these can be non-custodial too, if you link them to your, uh, if you link them to your your Lightning node, which this is kind of what I've done. So through podcasting 2.0, you can send me three, 10, 100 sats per minute if you want to listen to me. And it goes right to my node and stays there. It just sits there and I just watch them stream in. So that always helps. I would say give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes, but uh, guess what? That's not happening. So if you have the review capabilities on any other podcasting platform, consider giving me a five-star review. It really does help. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.